They're crazy, they're zany, and just plain nuts, but they love Jesus. America's Keswick and all of you. Here are the hosts of the Bob and Bill podcast, Robert Hayes and Bill Welty. Well, good afternoon, Bob. Hello, Bill. How are you? I'm okay. I'm looking at my notes here. I can't believe this is episode 27. 27. We're, like, we're like really far away. Social distancing. Joyce would be really proud she of us. She would be very proud of us. But, She'd be know, right there in the middle. Uh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, you know, we're really excited. We we have some new special music today. A yes. New, a new duo. Yes. Tell Al- us about it. Allison Conover is married to one of our staff members, Freddie. And uh, she has a beautiful voice, and she and Joyce just together did their first duet, and they featured it at the hymn sing. So we're going to listen to that now. And Allison's, she's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. Yes, she is. That's awesome. Was it August, I think? And Joyce? No, she's not having a... I thought we were going to make a big announcement. We are going to be grandparents for a second time. You are? Yes, November. Oh, that's amazing. It's exciting. Boy or girl? I don't know yet. You don't know yet? I'll take either one. That's awesome. Girl Congratulations. Oh, I'm really thank excited. You. Thank you. So they're going to sing, I think it's called All, All Glory, Glory to, G- to Jesus. Yes. Bill Gaither. Bill Gaither song. Mm-hmm. So let's listen to Allison and Joyce. And then we're going to listen to Pastor Matt Stokes. Matt was our speaker for our virtual men's fellowship night. He was here with us in May. He's doing part two, and we wanted to share that with you. It's a study on Psalm 23. So after Allison and Joyce sing, we're going to listen to the message by our good friend, Pastor Matt Stokes, Coastal Christian Church, Ocean City, New Jersey. Hope and then 
because we're in the midst of the coronavirus, I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know and all of us aren't already experiencing, but what I'm noticing as I do the research, but also what I'm seeing in my own personal ministry as a pastor and as a life coach for individuals and for teams, this virus has a compounding effect on the pre-existing issues of people's fears and anxieties and depressive disorders. They've only been multiplying. Psalm 42 speaks directly to this issue of anxiety and fear and depression. Um, as we are in the midst of this pandemic, there's another pandemic, and that's what we're speaking about today. Because why? Because alcoholism is up. The liquor stores are still open. Um, spousal abuse is up. It's interesting. As you do the research, you'll see child abuse is down. What? Why? Because they're getting to know their kids better? No, because children aren't at school anymore. They're no longer in the public sector where people are able to identify child abuse and be able to report those concerns. And so I can only imagine with great care and concern what children are going through in light of this pandemic. Now there's another pandemic in the midst of everyone's anxiety, depression, fear, and even confusion and abuse is setting in. And if you don't have compassion for that, I don't know if you have any. So as we think about all of this and how it's intensifying over time, that's why Psalm 42 is so important because it speaks to this issue in the heart and in the life of a believer. I'm glad the last message that I was able to share with you from Psalm 42 was helpful. I'm praying and hoping that today would be helpful as well as we pick up two more verses in Psalm 42. Let me just give you a bit of background and, and bring you back to where we were last time together. We were talking about En Gedi. And En Gedi is a place in the nation of Israel. It's a dry, desert, barren land. It's close to the Dead Sea, which most of you know, if you're a student of Scripture, is the lowest place on the earth. You might even know that from, uh, from your history or in geology. Um, it, it's there that you're going to find this remarkable oasis in the midst of that desert, where the, the foliage in the midst of this desert is fed by these fountains, by these springs that are actually in the desert. And in the midst of these hills, you actually have waterfalls coming off the cliffs and going down into these streams. And then these streams turn into these brooks. Now, what we gather is that David wrote this psalm and he gave it to the sons of Korah, who were actually musicians. And he must have been, we don't know if it was during the time he was on the run from King Saul, as Saul was seeking after his life because he was jealous of David. We don't know if it was during the time of Absalom when his own son tried to usurp and steal the kingdom from his own father David. Either way, he's on the run and filled with confusion and fear, no doubt, anxiety and depression. Um, and in that moment, he's hiding in En Gedi, no doubt. And again, if you were there, and I'd love for you to come with us next time, God willing, we're able to be in Israel, it's not uncommon for you to see ibex, deer, and fawns drinking from these cool water brooks. And as David's in the midst of this, the tension, the anxiety, the fear, the confusion, the isolation from where he wants to be, he sees a deer drinking from that water brook, and it's at that moment, again, that he takes out his pen and his heart is captured in the moment, and he writes down what we have today as Psalm 42. He's far from where he longed to be, and he writes these words. 
And they become for us today a biblical remedy, I believe, for depression and anxiety. Listen again. Just pause for a moment. If you have your Bible, you can read along. I just want you to listen and try and take this in, and then we're going to start with some new text this morning. The beginning of Psalm 42 says this, As the heart, or as the deer, panteth after the water brooks, so my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is thy God? I remember these things, and I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude, I went with them into the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept the holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me, Therefore, I will remember thee from the land of Jordan and the Hermonites and the hill Mizar. And for the great details on the background of what's really happening in those first six verses, I encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to hear that first message, that you would get a time to go back and listen to that and see how it dovetails and continues with where we are today. The place we were as we were looking at that, as we were thinking about that thirst that we have, that spiritual thirst, and when it begins to grow in you, what are you going to do with that? Because I believe in the core of my being that everyone's thirsting for something. Everyone's thirsting for something. At some point in life, different things reach into our hearts and we thirst for them. And I believe ultimately that we thirst for God. Because it's been said that inside every one of us, there is a God-shaped vacuum that only He can fill. A God-shaped void that only He can fill. So let your satisfaction be in specifically seeking the Savior. Those verses that I just read to you, David is longing to be in the presence of God. Did you see that? And so I'm asking you today, how much do you desire to get back to that place? If you've fallen away, if you've drifted, if you feel like you're in isolation... Do you ever pour out your soul? Again, do you ever pour out your soul like a child crying out in the midst of a nightmare? Is it a struggle for you to actually see God's hand at work in your life? Because if these things are true for you, I want to tell you, as much as God's word is true, in Psalm 42, you are not alone. Great men and women of God throughout the entire sweep of Scripture, they wrestle in their souls. Do you? You ever soul wrestle? You ever wrestle with negative inside chatter? With criticism? With guilt? With shame that's placed upon you by other people? Remember, again, we said this last time we were together, the easiest way to forget about how God sees you is to obsess about how other people are seeing you. Try and push all that aside and say today, Lord, I'm going to worship you even if I'm in isolation. I'm going to worship you even if I'm in confusion. I'm not going to put conditions on you, God, in order to worship you, God. I'm going to worship you at any time, from anywhere, in any place, wherever I am. Now we pick up in verse 7. It's a remarkable piece of scripture, and it says this. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. Another translation would actually say deep calls out to deep 
at the roar of your waterfalls. So what does this mean? In other words, in En Gedi, when you see these enormous waterfalls, there is a sense of a roar as that water falls down and crashes into those crystal clear pools that are be- below. I think, personally, that this is talking about the depths of the sea, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Other translators think that it's talking about the depths of the sea, meeting the depths of the atmosphere, when the atmosphere was totally filled with water. You may not know, but if you're a student of Scripture again and you're a student of science, you know that it seems that the earth was covered by a giant water canopy from Genesis up until the days of Noah. That's why the world was like a giant terrarium. And when you look at the fossil record, you see enormous vegetation because it was like the entire world was actually existing in a greenhouse. But when the flood came, it's as if the deep in the heavens fell and met the deep of the ocean and deep cried out to deep as it were at the time of the flood. Next, it says, all thy waves and thy billows have gone over me. So it doesn't matter which one of those you see, whether you think it's in Gedi or whether you think it's the ocean or whether you think that it might be the floods of Noah, whatever he's saying here, he's describing very dangerous water, very dangerous water. And the scriptures talk about dangerous water. Interesting, again, if you study the manners and customs of biblical times, you'll find out that the Hebrews had a fear of water. (laughs) I wonder why, right? When you think about the Red Sea, right, and some other details, um, it actually shows and makes sense that they would have this fear of water, particularly the ocean, They didn't have a fear of the Sea of Galilee because if you know your geography, the Sea of Galilee is really just a big lake. You never lose sight of the shore no matter where you are in the Sea of Galilee. But the ocean terrified them. That's why they had Phoenician ships and they would contract Phoenician ships to take their their goods and transport them to other places because Hebrews had a fear of the water. I'll give you another passage of scripture right here in in Psalms 69. Listen to this. You don't have to turn there. Just drink this in and listen to what the psalmist says. Save me, O God, from the waters that have come up to my neck. I sink in the depths where there is no foothold. Wow. Have you ever had that happen where you were out in the ocean and, and, and you were just kind of playing around and here comes a wave and it takes you up? And then all of a sudden, when it brings you down, it moved you to another place. And when the wave goes away, there's no foothold. There's no ground. And all of a sudden you realize, oh no, I'm in a place that's over my head. That's, do you know the feeling and anxiety you have when you're six, seven, eight years old and that moment happens? Well, that's what he's feeling right here. He says, there is no foothold. I've come to the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out, crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Wow, this isn't even Psalm 42, but it still rings so true. This description that he's, that he's creating for you about there, there, there's no foothold, that the, the floods are engulfing, I'm, I'm worn out calling, my throat is drying, my eyes are failing. I mean, the picture he's painting here is one of fear and one of anxiety. In fact, when you talk to people that experience depression, fear, and anxiety, many times they will say, it feels like I'm drowning. 
The scriptures talk about the deep right here in this verse. Deep is calling out to deep. And what I'm saying and I'm proposing to you that what this means is this, that my all the billows and thy waves are going over me. In other words, what he's saying is, is my, my discouragement is crying out to my depression and my depression is crying out to my despair and my despair is crying out to my discontentment, which is crying out to my isolation, which is crying out to my rejection. Do you see what's happening, how it's all compounding? Have you ever had that experience where you've been in the water and where you get caught up and here comes a wave and the wave hits you and it knocks you so silly that by the time that you try to get up, you just get hit by another wave and it just feels like you can't get back up. You feel helpless. It's actually a really scary feeling, especially as a young child. And that's what he's describing here. He's saying, I'm just overwhelmed by everything that's happening in my life. That's what you're looking at here in verse 7. He's describing a very descriptive image of depression. Because again, now in America, there are more people struggling with depression than ever before. Depression? Really not my bag? Me personally, I'm anxious. I'm anxious. Uh, Depression's uh, spastic little cousin. Nice to meet you. I'm anxious. If you know me at all, if you're a friend with me, you know that I tend to be impulsive. I tend to be reactive. Um, I was on Route 9, and someone pulled out in front of me, just like ripped right out in front of me as I'm coming down my lane, uh, you know, heading towards here, heading towards the shore. And uh, I could have laid on the horn, but, but I didn't, right? Because, first of all, this was totally outrageous. I had every right to lean on it. But I didn't do that. I did this other thing. I mean, you can't tell me. Maybe you can click your likes and your hearts or whatever if you're watching online right now. But tell me if you've ever done this. What I did was this instead. I just didn't hit the brake. I just decided to just let my car fly right into the back of where they were. And right when I got close enough, I went like this with my car a little bit to like show them that I'm hoping they're looking to see that I almost lost control because you're an idiot. Like, I really didn't lose control, but I wanted them to think I lost control because what they did was so, you know, outrageous. It's kind of my way of saying, you made me stop really fast. Don't do that. So after that moment ends and we're coming to this light, the, the passenger side, a guy sticks his middle finger at me right out the window, right? Whew. So, okay, to Mississippi. And I am flying up to the passenger side of this door. Like, just like, and I'm flying right up there. I don't even think, I'm sure there's a lane. So it was probably a total of six Mississippi between the time I saw the finger and by the time my window's coming down because I got something to share. And I'm right up next to him. His window's already down. That's how he got the bird out. And I say to him, did you just give me the finger? Okay, not one of my best moments here. This is not one of the finer moments for Pastor Matt. So I'm sitting there, and you know, I don't know if you know this, I speak a few different languages. You know, I, 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 I used to speak a lot of uh, French, I, 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 but I was very fluent in Fal. Fal was my second language, if you will. And, you know, I don't speak it as much anymore, so you know how it is with language, like when you don't speak, if you don't use it, you lose it. But you know how it is, too, that you can also still recognize it when you, someone speaks it to you? Yeah. So um, I said to this guy, did you just give me the finger? And he said to me, and I can't say it really to you, but I can translate it into American English for you. Basically what he said to me was, 
I most certainly did. And all I wanted to do was just share with him the sheer lunacy of his wife's driving. Um, at least I think it's his wife, might have been his girlfriend, but she was attempting to create a multi-car collision starting with mine. So all of a sudden, I look and see, as I was pulling up, the out-of-state plates on the back, and then I look up and I see the two bicycles on the roof of the, of the, of the, of the station wagon with the little tassels hanging off the handlebars, and I'm thinking to myself, there's probably kids back behind that do-it-yourself tinted glass job they had on the station wagon. And right there, God was telling me, let it go. Just let it go. I wasn't hearing him, but I started hearing him then. So I let it go. And you know what? That's me. I struggle with that. That's why I'm anxious. Thank you very much. My name is Pastor Matt. That's why I drink decaf. I need decaf. My doctor actually told me stick with decaf. It's funny because years ago when I was like leading worship and teaching, people would come after a service. They'd be like, um, we just wanted to tell you that we really like, um, we really like how you get into it. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, thank you very much. And I'm also thinking, get into it? <laughs> I don't get into it. I'm already into it. It's like, boom, I'm already there. I wake up in the morning problem solving, texting. My heart is racing. That just comes naturally for me because I, I, I wrestle with anxiety. And, and again, depression is peculiar because depression and anxiety almost seem opposite, but they're very much integrated into people's lives. There's a lot of similarities between them. If you do the work and the research, it's, it's an epidemic. Um, but it's more than an epidemic because it's a pandemic, because it's not just true for this nation, it's true across the globe. I said this last time I was speaking to you, but let me just run through this again to just really drive home these statistics from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, generalized anxiety disorder, 6.8 million, OCD, 2.2 million, panic disorders, 6 million, PTSD, 7.7 million, social anxiety disorder, 15 million, specific phobias, 19 million, major depression disorders, 14.8 million, and the list goes on, and the CDC, which is sort of like the buzz acronym of today, they say that these statistics are only going to grow exponentially every year. The number one prescribed medications in the United States are antibiotics, lipid control, that's like for cholesterol, and antidepressants. And medicine, uh, please understand this, medicine has its place. I would never say that it doesn't, right? Jesus himself said in the Gospels, it's the sick who need a physician. I didn't come to call the righteous, I've come to call sinners to repentance. But take that first phrase of his statement. He, Jesus said, it is the sick who need a physician. He was affirming that fact. He's given us technology to understand and how to create those things and make those things. And there are people that truly suffer from particular chemical imbalances, whether it's serotonin levels or, or, or melatonin levels, um, well, uh, whether it's anxiety depletion or cortisol levels. But I do wonder, and this is my point, how many people have ever tried this prescription how many people have tried this prescription right here? A recollecting and a meditating and a contemplating and even a verbal articulating of the goodness of the Father's blessings. The wisdom of his word, meditating on the greatness of his glory, contemplating the truth 
of the gospel, continually articulating the infinite power that God has to keep his promises and the love of Jesus Christ specifically for you. I'm saying today, that's good medicine. That is the best medicine. And I'm saying I can't help, I can't help but wonder how much of our depression could actually be healed by simply hoping in him. David says in those opening verses, I'm going to hope in God. I'm going to hope in God. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to lean on God. I'm going to look to God. I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to put my faith in God. I mean, especially, are you reading this? Especially doing that instead of having a diet of tears and eating our own tears every day. I just wonder if we did that. Hoped in God, because first and foremost, what we usually do is we'll go to a friend, we'll, we'll, we'll contract a therapist, we'll watch Oprah and Dr. Phil, we'll find a good self-help book, and we go to, to alcohol, and then more alcohol, we go to drugs, whether they're, whether they're illegal drugs or whether they're prescription drugs that we start abusing, rather than actually get on our knees and pray to Almighty God about having his perspective on what it is we're going through. That's his prescription for our depression and anxiety and fear and confusion, thoughts of isolation. Some of us are depressed because we found ourselves in situations that are just beyond our control. That's just the fact, that's going to happen. We're all overwhelmed at some particular time in our lives. As you're watching and listening to this right now, you either are coming out of being overwhelmed, you're overwhelmed right now, or I guarantee you will be overwhelmed in the very near future. But Psalm 62, just listen to this for a minute. Psalm 62 says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Again, the rock that is higher than I. Because when you get to that higher rock, you know what that means? In other words, the metaphor is, is that you're getting to a place of new vistas. I remember growing up in Philly, we used to go to a place in Fairmount Park that had this huge rock that was in the, outside of the woods over a field, and it would take about 10 minutes to climb to the top of this rock. And you'd be a little bit exhausted, but when you got to the top, you were out of breath, but man, you could see over all the trees, and you had this, listen, you had this new perspective. You had this new vista, because you were on this higher rock. See the metaphor I'm trying to make? You saw what you would have never seen before. And that's what he's saying here. Listen to the first several verses of, uh, of Psalm 62. He says, hear my cry, O God, and attend unto my prayer, because from the ends of the earth will I cry unto you. And when my heart is overwhelmed, then lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou, for you have been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever and I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Selah which means, in other words, pause for a moment after the richness of that word and reflect on what the psalmist is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That high place, 
that high rock. That high rock is also a place of security. Biblically, when you read, you'll find it's also a place of safety. It's also a place of advantage militarily. When you, again, when you read the history of ancient times, a few men on top of a rock could save an entire troop and stop them from defeating their village. Remarkable. So pray, I'm encouraging you today, and here's the challenge to pray to God and ask him to take you to that higher rock. And in the scriptures, don't miss this, in the scriptures it says that that rock is Christ. You read the New Testament, it says that that rock is Christ. I remember when I was younger, there was a song we sung when we were kids. It said, praise the name of Jesus, praise the name of Jesus, he's my rock. You remember that? He's my deliverer. In him will I trust, praise the name of Jesus. Peter, remember when he was walking through Caesarea, he said to Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus spins to him and says, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but that is a revelation from my father in heaven. That is not your own speculation or rationalization. That was revelation. Your name is Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The word Peter and rock are the same, but they're actually different. One is Petra and the other is Petras. Peter means little stone, but he says upon this other rock, this huge rock, I'm going to build my church and the strategies of hell will not prevail against it. Christ is the son of the living God. That is the message of the gospel and the strategies of hell will not prevail against the gospel, the rock of truth, the truth of the gospel. So I don't mean to be callous or insensitive in, in saying this, but, but, but please listen. Of course you're going to go through circumstances and situation where there's an inability to help yourself, inabilities to help ourselves. We're going to go through circumstances and situations where we can't fix ourselves. And we're so prone to do that. We so want to do that. But I'm going to actually propose to you that in the mystery of God's sovereignty, in a way that I can't even articulate to you, those situations and circumstances are designed by God to make you dependent on him. Let me say it again. Those situations and circumstances are designed by God to make you, to cause you, to lead you, to be dependent on him. It's at those times that we have to get out of our own thoughts. We've got to get out of our own present problems as much as we can, as much as it lies within us. And there's some serious stuff. Like, I know who I'm speaking to, and I'm not naive, I'm not ignorant. Many of you are walking right now through some serious stuff. We too right here are walking through some serious stuff with a lot of people. But we have to, to the degree that we can, get through all those thoughts of our present problems with viruses, with diseases and death, with chaos and crisis, with hard times and hurt. And there's a lot I know, but we've got to get our minds out of the present problems and focus on God. Focus on God's ability, God's ability to rescue our souls, God's ability to redeem us from hell, God's ability to reconcile relationships, God's ability to restore that which is broken. God's ability to save us from 10 eternities in hell. And he paid the price on the cross by dying for our sins. 
in our particular place and then rising again from that grave to show that every promise that he ever made was true, that is the gospel. And whether it's a loved one that you lost last week or it's a diagnosis that you received yesterday or it's something in this message that you're hearing today or it's someone that's standing on the street, I'm able to take the word of God and say that Jesus saves to the uttermost those who put their faith and trust in him. Hebrews chapter 7. Write it down, look it up. He's able to save to the uttermost those who put their faith and trust in him. The uttermost. You know what the uttermost is? In, in Greek, it's actually the word um, panteles. Now, pan, me, me, you may know, pan means all, or pan means everything. That's why pandemic means it's all over the world. It means completely. Teleos actually means to the point of termination, to the vanishing point. Like, we, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, te telestai. A telescope takes you to the end of the limit. A telescope takes you to the vanishing point. Okay, so take those two together, teleos, and put pan in front of it. In other words, if you had a telescope and you could see to the furthest point in the universe, Jesus Christ saves beyond that point that you could ever see. Remember when you were younger and you used to, I mean, every kid looks at the horizon as he stands on the shore and he wonders if that's the other side of the world. And we go ask an adult, is that the other side of the world? They say, no, 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 that's just the horizon. There's a whole other place beyond where you can see. So wherever you see that horizon, however far you think you can see, Jesus saves beyond that. He saves to the uttermost. Every sinner in every generation, anyone who's done anything at any time, anywhere, Jesus Christ saves to the uttermost. If you get one thing today, you've got to get that. So this psalm becomes an antidepressant prescription, if you will. And it has for me more times than I can even remember. This is one of my favorite psalms. So I want to challenge you to watch what's happening in the psalm and do the same. Hey, make it your medicine. Make it your medicine. Now watch what happens. One more verse, and that's verse 8. It says, yet all the, you know, all, uh, the deep's crying out to deep. All thy waves and billows are going over me. Yet, but. Nevertheless, however, the Lord will command his loving kindness. He'll, he'll what? He'll command? He'll command. He'll co his loving kindness. He'll command his own character. He'll command his own nature. I love this. It doesn't say that he's going to suggest this. It doesn't say he's going to request this. It doesn't say that he goes, you know what? I propose that we should send an angel down to help that guy, you know, because, like, no, that's not what it's happening here at all. It says the Lord is going to command his loving kindness towards me in the daytime and in the night. Watch this. His song shall be with me. What? Yeah. So this is one of the few places in Scripture where it actually says that God sings to you. His song is going to be with me in the night. And we spend a lot of time singing to God, and that's right, and that's biblical, and that is beautiful. But there's a few places in Scripture where it actually says that God sings to us rather than us just singing to God. 
remarkable. I was sharing that with my son yesterday, and he told me of a verse that I just totally forgot about in Zephaniah chapter 3. I wrote it down for you. The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee, and he is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will quiet you with his love, and he will joy over you with singing. Remarkable. The one that I remember is Psalm 32, because I remember it because it's in a song that we sing. It says, you are my hiding place. God, you are my hiding place, and you will preserve me in a time of trouble, and you will surround me with songs. You will surround me with songs of deliverance. What a beautiful, mysterious truth to embrace. You are my hiding place, and whenever I feel afraid, I will trust in you, and you will protect me from trouble, and you will surround me, and you'll surround me with songs of deliverance. So I look at that, and I just, you know, I think to myself, like, what kind of spiritual sensitivity do I have to have in order to sense the loving kindness of God being commanded to me in the day and then to hear his songs in the night. Because I want to hear them. I want to sense that love and I want to hear those songs. Verse 8 says, In the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. What does that mean? It means that God sings me this song. But he doesn't only sing me this song. As he sings me this song, he gives me this song. And then, then, then that song becomes my song. Just like David says in the Psalms, Psalm 40, he says, I will sing a new song unto the Lord. Another place in Psalms, he says, he has put a new song into my mouth. Uh, he's, going to, he, he, he's given me a new song. Something new is happening. And I want to declare the newness of what God's doing in this song that he sung to me. I am now singing this song. And then he, what happens next? He's saying, what happens is, is I'm going to take that song and I'm going to make it a prayer. I'm going to take that song and I'm going to make it a prayer unto the God of my life. So as we come to a close today, I want to ask you this question. Is he the God of your life? Or is, he, or is he the God of your career when you want to make a job change? Is he the God of your life? Or is he just the, the God of your relationship when you want to get into one or get out of one? Is he the God of your life? Or is he just the God of your real estate when you want to buy a new house or move to a new place? Is he the God of your life? Are you able to say, oh God, my God, you are the God of my life. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the first and the last. You are the beginning and the end. You are the strength of my life. You are the author and the finisher of my faith. You are my glory. You are my shield. And you are the lifter of my head because that's who he is. That's who he longs to be for you. That's who he longs to be to you if You'll allow him. So as we close, consider God's desire in your despair is actually to make you more dependent on Christ. Yes, we are overwhelmed, but what does the genuine, authentic believer say? 
When my discouragement's crying out to my despair, which is crying out to my depression, which is crying out to my dejection, which is crying out to my isolation, when my heart is overwhelmed, it's you, God, that leads me to the rock. It's you, God, that takes me to higher ground. It's you, God, that takes me to the places that I see what I would have never seen. It's you, God, that are my hiding place. It's you, God, that gives me your loving kindness in the day. It's you, God, that sings me songs of deliverance in the night. And my prayer shall be to the God of my life. And with that, Selah. Well, Bob been a good day it's been a really really good day i trust that you watched our wednesday podcast if you missed it i want to encourage you to go back and watch on youtube uh, because we talk a little bit about what's going to be happening this summer here at america's keswick it's going to be exciting it is it's going to be very different but very good different and what was the word you used flexibility that word flexibility i believe that's the key i didn't think baptists could be flexible they didn't used to be no we don't like change so I trust that you'll watch us again next week. On Monday, we'll be back with Worship Live with Robert and Joyce at 1.30. Pastor Noah Lang will be joining us for his study in Revelation at 2.30 on Monday. Again, we want to thank you for watching. Please share this link with a friend. If you're not connected with the Ministry of America's Keswick, I want to encourage you to go on our website, www.americaskeswick.org. Get connected to the Keswick Family Buzz. comes out once a week, usually on Fridays. It gives you all the good stuff that's going to be happening, and you'll want to hear about summer and how you can be a part of it. Again, 1-800-453-7942 to give a gift or visit our website, www.americaskeswick.org. Now until next week, I'm Bill. I'm Bob. God bless. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let us know. Write us at bewealthy at americaskeswick.org, or it'll be in the description below. If you'd like to learn more information about America's Keswick, you can visit our website at www.americaskeswick.org. Join us every Wednesday and Friday at 2.30 for the next edition of the podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Tyler. And have a good and godly day.